Hi, I'm Keith Glasgow, and I'm sorry we couldn't make it to be with you today because of the lockdown, but uh, here we are, um, and I want to share with you a message about uh, people who turn away from their faith, who leave following Christ behind them and, and choose another pathway. Uh, I'm sorry we couldn't be there because we've got some friends there, people we know, like uh, Andrew and uh, Hui Chin, and also, of course, Josh and uh, Rachel, who we uh, have known for a long time, and probably others there who are meeting with you. Uh, so here is what I feel God has put on my heart, because over the last little while, I, I have been very troubled by the number of people, especially younger ones, who've turned away from their faith who stopped following Jesus. And it's uh, caused me to write a book, which is about to be published, and uh, it is called Exit. And and it just goes into the whole area of people who turn from following Christ. And so I've explored it and thought it through because there's been so many, and I just think of one couple who were married. I married them uh, some 10 years ago or so, and they uh, have completely turned from Christ and uh, yet she was one of the perhaps the most committed follower of Christ that I knew. She was right there and full on and uh, yet she's turned completely away. So how do you explain that? Well we're going to look a little bit at it but we're going to couch what I want to share with you in John chapter 6 where a whole number of disciples stopped following Jesus. So now my wife, Marg, is going to call, read the scriptures to us. Thank you. Hi, I'm Marg Glasgow, and I'm reading to you today from John chapter 6, starting at verse 26. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Down to verse 36. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And then again in verse 63, The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, That is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
we believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. There's so much to cover in this area, and so I've had to uh, decide what I'm going to deal with today. And I want to do a bit of an overview, but I also want to drill down into one or two really critical areas. Uh, in John chapter 6, well, John's gospel is actually one of the major themes through the gospel is faith. Uh, belief and unbelief. And as you go through the gospel, uh, those who are unbelievers become more apparent and more settled in their unbelief. And those who believe grow in their faith, especially the disciples. And so when we come to chapter 6, it's, it's really a crisis of faith and non-belief. And you have, uh, as I said earlier, a, a large number of disciples or people who follow Jesus, who crowded out to see him at different occasions, like this occasion where he had fed the uh, thousands of people who had gathered on the hillside. And now after that had finished, he went across the lake with his disciples to the other side and lots of them pursued him around to the other side of the lake and approached him. And in his discourse with them, he revealed that many of them had come simply because they'd had their fill of food and not because they had a genuine faith in him. And so we uh, we have a number who turn away from him. Uh, as I travel along and as you travel along the freeway, the eastern freeway, and you head towards town and you come to the bullying turn-off, uh, you get into the exit lane and the exit lane is running parallel with uh, all the other traffic, and in fact you're travelling at the same pace as all the other traffic, it looks like you're all on the same road, but you get into the exit lane and that will mean that eventually it'll move off and go up the hill to the bridge and you'll be off the freeway altogether. And I think of that as a way that some people, perhaps nearly everyone who turns from following Jesus, first of all gets into the exit lane. They're in a, a situation where they're heading towards leaving their commitment to Christ or their following of Christ. And uh, they're still traveling, though. They're still going to church, still going to the Bible study or youth group or whatever. And yet they are in that exit lane and it won't be long before they'll be turning right away onto a different pathway altogether. And so as we look at the exit lane, uh, we, we think about the different ways or the different causes of people to turn away from following Jesus. What are they? Um, Kathy grew up in a Christian home and she gave her life to Christ at a young age and she was happily traveling along with everyone else, going to church and youth group. Um, she actually used to share the gospel and, and she got involved in youth ministry and uh, she was involved in outreaches and overseas short-term mission and so on. Yet, at the end of high school, um, because of parental authority and other reasons, she began to get into the exit lane. Then when she went to university, it happened, and uh, she just moved right away, never lost her faith, never stopped believing in the Lord, but her life then followed a whole new course where... Um, God was not important to her and she pursued other things. And that happens time and time again. So what are the exit points? 
what are the places where uh, people get off the freeway, as it were, off the, the road and head in a new direction? One of them is the burden of being religious. Some people uh, are brought up in a religious environment which is burdensome. Jesus talked about that when he said uh, that you've got a yoke and you've got to take my yoke upon me. Uh, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, talking about the yoke of the law that the religious environment had placed on them. Not God, but the religiosity of the, the um, community they belong to. And he said, take my yoke upon you. It's light. It's easy. Uh, and in other words, follow me. It's not a religion. It's a relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. But some people are yoked with religion and it becomes a burden and they just throw it off. Other people, they leave because of false expectations. They might belong to a church or a, a Christian community that has huge expectations like uh, in terms of emotional involvement and feelings or in terms of God answering all our prayers, healing all the sick and so on. And then when things don't work out the way they would expect or as as I said, false expectations, that they are then moved to say, well, you know, is this for real? If, if God doesn't answer the prayers and he promises to, and they're thinking uh, that is what has to happen, then it gives a, um, a means or a motivation for them to move right away. Other people, as we know, choose a moral course that is uh, antithetical to God and his way, and because they know it doesn't jive with the Christian life and with following Jesus, they have made their moral choice and they move in that direction and so they turn <clears throat> from following Christ. Other people have intellectual uh, conflicts where uh, they um, may be at school or university or among their peers, they're challenged about their faith in God and the Bible and, and so uh, they are taught that scientific theory is a fact and so they begin to uh, turn away because of the ridicule sometimes that they may receive because if they followed what the Bible taught, it just doesn't go with what uh, the world out there and universities and so on teach in the main. Um, a, 19, a, a 2019 study showed that 64% of young adults who grew up in the church have turned from their faith. That's a huge number. Uh, I know it was done in America, but it's pretty well much the same here. The next area is social pressure. Uh, the uh, people that you mix with, your your peers, your friends, and the, uh, the subculture that you belong to, whether it's at work or in your um, among your mates or whatever it might be, and uh, most people want to be accepted, of course, and uh, want to fit in with the social group that they belong to. And so that forces them to actually turn from following Christ, so they'll be accepted in that group. Jesus said, if you follow me, you've got to take up your cross, and you've got to deny yourself. It, it, it's going to be costly to follow me. 
and some people are just not willing to count that cost and so it means they turn and get into the exit lane and start a journey in another direction. Another one is the hypocrisy of Christians. Some have turned away from the faith because uh, growing up in the home there's been hypocrisy uh, or in the church environment where they were, uh, the, there was uncaring and or indifference um, and moral failure and other reasons for them to, to see hypocrisy and realize that's not for me. I know several people who, one who in particular who, who was um, aware of terrible moral failure and the church didn't seem to do anything about it, so that was the end for her and never to be seen again near a church. So, so sad. Mind you, I've got to say that hypocrisy isn't not living up to God's standard because none of us do. Hypocrisy is saying that you are something when you are not. It's uh, it's really being an actor. That's the idea of it, being an actor, having an outward show. Jesus loved sinners, but he hated hypocrites. Well, hated, but he was totally opposed. And his strongest language was against hypocrites. The next reason that people get into the exit lane is because of suffering or loss. It seems so unfair that God would allow these things to happen. And some people get it much worse than others, and it doesn't seem fair. How can God, the God of love, do that or allow that? And the next one is the pursuit of fame and wealth. And uh, as it says in First Timothy, where uh, Paul says, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, it is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith. So it's very real. And uh, I've got to say, though, that some uh, people who have turned from following Jesus still haven't exited the church. They still go to church, but they just do the thing. Maybe it's to comply with a loved one who wants them to do that, or whatever reason. Um, but there's others also who have exited the church, but not their faith. And uh, they are what we call de-churched people who, uh, they still follow Jesus uh, uh, to some extent. Uh, they read the Bible and they pray, but they are not interested in being involved in a church. And there may be good reasons for that because of their experience, but not knowing that there are churches that are loving and warm and accepting. All right, so looking at John chapter 6, Jesus discerns, first of all, counterfeit faith. He knew that within that huge crowd of people following him, there were some who were genuine and some who were not. There were some whom God the Father had moved and worked and brought them to that place of faith or growing faith, and others who just followed him because that's what the others did, and or because of the uh, food that they were given or miracles that they liked to watch and uh, be amazed at. But there was no genuine faith there. So he saw through these ones who on that occasion had been fed with a little boy's lunch and they had their fill and they, they tried to make him king. He knew that. It says so in the text. And, and so... He then went with his disciples across the lake to get away from them trying to make him king. Uh, they wanted a bread king, someone who would provide for them. Wonderful. 
Wouldn't it be good to have a king who would do that? Never need anything again because he's there to provide. And you know, um, that led him to talk about, this whole passage of John chapter 6 is about faith and salvation. And those who have true saving faith, he says, come to him and he never drives them away. He never does anything to push them away. But as we'll see in this chapter, those who didn't have genuine faith, he said things that created a problem in their minds that eventually caused them to turn away. So their faith was exposed as being superficial and not real, not saving faith, certainly. The central question in this passage is faith. Is the faith that people turn from true faith? If people have faith and then turn away from it and leave it behind, is that faith real faith or is it not? The Bible teaches that it is possible to have faith that is not saving faith. Uh, James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works, can his faith save him? Uh, that is obviously implying no. And the passage goes on to show that. Uh, and then again in Second Corinthians it says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, uh, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So faith is put to the test. And this is something that has been, it's right through the Bible, right from the time when Abraham had faith, but God tested him uh, with Isaac and uh, brought him right to the brink of sacrificing his son uh, as a test of faith. Faith is always put to the test and it reveals whether it's true faith or not. Jesus knew that when he spoke the words he did later in this chapter, where he said that unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you, and words around that whole idea, that created a big problem in the minds of the followers. And although they couldn't understand it, and uh, even today some people find it really hard to understand that, but still, uh, it caused their faith to melt away, and they said no. And they walked away. They didn't want to follow Jesus anymore. So faith is put to the test. And we read, um, first of all, it's tested by fire. And then I'll see that I'll show and share that it's tested by fruit. First of all, it's tested by fire. First Peter chapter one, verses three to seven, that we're born again to a living hope, uh, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, guarded in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Then he goes on to say, uh, but now you're going through various trials, uh, and it says, so that the, te the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, though it perishes with, silver, uh, with fire, uh, may be found to result in praise and honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying here that faith is like gold. Genuine gold is proven to be genuine by the fire. 
And for these Christians that Peter was writing to, uh, they were undergoing terrible persecution. And uh, we don't understand that in our country today, but there's many countries in the world today where people are still persecuted severely for their faith. And for these Christians at that time, that persecution, uh, horrific as it was, was actually a refining thing for their faith so that they actually proved their faith was genuine by staying firm and focused and continuing to follow Jesus despite the persecution. So faith is tested by fire, just like fool's gold is proven to be false, not real gold. Some people have picked up a a stone with uh, what looked like gold in it and been thrilled and found out later that it's just fool's gold. But the genuine gold is tested and proved to be just that. Secondly, faith is tested by fruit. As uh, it says, the interpretation of um, the parable of, um, we call it the parable of the seed and the sower and the seed, but it's actually the parable of the soils. The parable of the sower with the seed and the soils, where he, he went and, and scattered the seed in different soils, um, produced different things. And there was only one of those soils that produced a harvest, fruit. And Jesus said in his interpretation of that, that those with a noble and good heart, that's the good soil, those with a noble and good heart, if you like, the inner attitude of the heart, who hear the word, who retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. And that is the one that produces some a little and some a lot, but they always produce fruit. So, uh, by their fruits you shall know them, the Bible says. And uh, so there is that evidence of faith being genuine by fruit, persevering to produce fruit. Um, even the demons believe and tremble and have a kind of belief, but they don't produce fruit, James says. Faith without works or fruit is dead. Jesus gave assurance in this passage in John chapter 6, he gave assurance uh, to those who had genuine faith and he spoke of that assurance being eternal assurance, that, that they could have eternal security knowing that because God had worked sovereignly in their lives and uh, the Father had worked in them and, and in words of Jesus, given them to Jesus as like a gift, that these were the ones that the Father had worked in and he knew that they would then be raised up at the last day. In other words, their eternal security was real and Jesus would make sure that happened. We know how that happens now, but back then they didn't understand that. Genuine faith will endure. Uh, you, You can't be born again and then unborn again. You can't be justified, declared righteous, and then not um, lose that justification. There's no evidence or teaching or any hint to that in the Bible. Um, I, we, we all know about Harry and Meghan. Prince Harry married Meghan, and for a while there they were um, His Royal Highness and the Duchess, but then they decided to leave. They stopped their whole royal um, 
position, they, they got left that position and went to California where they live now. And having done that, they lost their privileges, they lost their titles, they were no longer, are no longer royals. However, Prince Harry is still Prince. He is still the son and the grandson. He's the grandson of the Queen. He is part of the family and that will never change. No matter what he has decided to do, he belongs. And that's a little illustration of when a person turns from following Jesus, if they have a genuine faith and that, that faith is shown in the long run to be genuine, then they will never lose that that uh, new birth and the uh, being part of the family of God that they've been brought into by faith in Jesus Christ. And I know some have gone right away from God and, and then uh, turned back to him in latter years. Uh, others uh, have never given up their faith but have lived basically without God in their lives. Others, however, have turned away from their faith and renounced it. So that's different. All right, so um, Jesus not only demands, uh, I mean, he not only discerns counterfeit faith, in this passage he demands committed faith. He demands that a faith that is genuine has to be committed. True faith is not passive. It's not merely an intellectual exercise. Uh, true faith involves three things. First of all, it involves personal appreciation, or if you like, uh, a personal belief, an appreciation of who Jesus is and what the Bible teaches about him. So Peter and the apostles came to believe who Jesus was, uh, not just by the miracles, but even as Peter says in this passage, by the words that you spoke, he says, uh, the words of eternal life, they, they listened to his words as much as they watched his miracles and uh, came to believe that he was, as Peter says here, the Holy One of God, uh, the Son of the Living God. So uh, faith is based on truth, and that truth is revealed in his word. And time and again, people who have turned away from their faith, or if you like, turned away from following Jesus, it's, there's always been an attack on the Word of God. And uh, if you like, the flip side of that is people who are really well grounded in the Word of God, it's much harder for them to turn away from their faith. It still happens. Um, so... Uh, genuine faith comes by hearing, Paul says, and hearing the word of Christ or the message of Christ. Spiritual warfare is very real when it comes to people turning from their faith. Let me just say that when, when Paul talks about uh, spiritual warfare in Ephesians, he says that the big thing is to stand. Stand, therefore, having y y your uh, armor on and so on. To stand, having done all to stand, it's the emphasis of the passage is to stand firm. And that is what we are called to do in our faith. But then you find that the armour, all of the armour and then the sword, uh, all have somehow to do with the word of God. Not just 
slight implication, real uh, actual need for the word of God to be the belt of truth, the shield of faith. Faith is in what God has revealed in his word and the, the shoes of, of uh, salvation the, uh, of the gospel um, and the, um, the breastplate of righteousness and the, the uh, helmet of salvation. All of that and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, have to do with the word of God. And uh, so as a person has a strong understanding and belief in the word of God and is grounded in that, they are able to stand against the attacks of the evil one. And in those attacks, we are attacked not by flesh and blood, but by principalities and powers. And what he's saying is that uh, those flesh and blood people that attack you might be not physically attacking you, but but um, attacking your faith with their challenges and with their scientific theories and with whatever way they try and influence the minds of people, uh, that attack ultimately comes back to satanic influence in the world and through people. You're not wrestling against flesh and blood, against your university professor or against your friends who think differently to you. Behind them um, is the influence of the evil one who is trying to, right from the start, he has always uh, challenged God's truth, saying to Adam and Eve, did God say? And the challenge was there uh, and is still there today. So faith, um, true faith involves First of all, personal appreciation of the truth. Secondly, it, it involves personal appropriation. And Jesus spoke about this when he said to, uh, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he was saying that the truth about me is not just uh, out there as words. It is me, that you have to actually have me. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Um, that's really what he was saying, that you need to take the flesh. It's not the body. It's not talking about communion. It's talking about the sacrificed flesh and the blood that was shed, the actual sacrifice of Christ, that to take it personally and, and assimilate it, to appropriate it yourself. And so the uh, personal appropriation of Christ is a, a relationship with the living Lord Jesus. It is a relationship. It is more than just belief up here. It's down here as well. And so um, Jesus demands in, his, in true faith, first of all, appreciation of the truth. Secondly, appropriation. And thirdly, I would say personal allegiance or if you like, commitment. You cannot have faith in Jesus Christ without commitment. It goes together. Um, you, you cannot follow me, Jesus said, unless you take up your cross and follow me. There's a commitment there. Um, belief that is head knowledge is not faith at all. Knowledge doesn't save. Down through history, Christian history, there's been many who have believed and they held to the fundamental tenets of the gospel, but they've turned away. A person who is concerned about hell will believe in Jesus, 
out of a sense of self-preservation and may do so without really uh, exercising saving faith. Uh, just pray this prayer. How many people have done that? And I don't know, only the Lord knows, but how many are genuine putting their faith in Jesus and, and inviting him to come in as Lord and Saviour? Uh, and so the challenge is there just because someone prayed a prayer or has a had, had belief in Jesus that he died for our sins and rose again doesn't mean it's genuine faith. It must be a committed faith. I'm trusting you. Um, someone said, uh, when you open the door and let someone in, if it's the Queen of England comes to your door, uh, you can't come and you can't say to that, uh, beautiful woman, uh, you can come in Elizabeth, but you cannot come in as queen. Uh, she is queen. So when you invite her into your home, she comes in as queen, even though she is still Elizabeth. And it's the same with Jesus. You can't invite Jesus in uh, without him being Lord and Savior. He is both. Uh, and so a personal commitment to Jesus Christ is absolutely imperative. Some people seek Jesus or come to Jesus because they want peace and happiness and they hear a message about God giving joy and peace when you trust in Jesus. And again, it can be much the same as perhaps embracing another religion because it promises peace. Uh, it may not necessarily mean it's genuine faith. And I say that not to upset people, but to say that, that we need to be discerning. And we need to instruct our young people and all of us uh, with what is genuine faith and and have people put their faith in a committed way in the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. So what should our response be then to people who have turned from following Jesus? We've got to say first that we don't know what they've gone through. Um, maybe the unjust treatment that they've received or um, unloving people in the church. Uh, maybe they went through tough times and and they prayed and nothing happened and they that led them to begin questioning and, and so on. There's all sorts of reasons, as we talked about the exit lane uh, in the early part of this message. We need to have grace and humility in responding to people. Uh, not at all to be judgmental, never, but to come alongside them, to listen to them, to hear what they have to say, to identify as much as we can with them, and um, to have grace and humility in, in saying that I could easily have gone down that pathway. So first of all, the three things I'd like to say in responding to people who have turned from following Jesus. First of all, love them. In the prodigal son, the story there tells of the boy who went away from home and when he father didn't stop loving him and waited for the time when he would come back. The, the boy had rejected the father and which back at that time was a, a, a huge dishonor to the father. He'd wasted the huge amount of money that it had, had been given and he brought dishonor 
in the community to the whole family. Yet the father continued to love him. And the moment he saw him coming back, he ran to embrace him. And that's the kind of love we need to have. Uh, Don't forget that the other son, the brother of the prodigal, uh, he was also a prodigal in the sense that he was not um, a genuine lover of his his father. He um, outwardly conformed. It's like people who stay in the church, but they don't have faith. And he didn't really um, have the kind of love for his father that the prodigal had when he returned and embraced his father and was forgiven. Anyway, so we're to love them. Do not abandon them. Do not um, write them off. Wait for the time when they are ready. And that might have mean a lot of waiting. Um, and what we have done and what others have done is to entrust them into God's hands and leave them there. How many times uh, to pray that prayer, Lord, that person is yours to deal with. And so love them by trusting them into God's hands. And that helps you to deal with it too, if it's a loved one or someone close to you. Love them by praying for them. In James, he wrote to Christians about those who had turned away. And in that context, he says, Elijah was a man of of nature like ours, and he fervently prayed that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone of you wanders from the truth and becomes, and someone, sorry, brings him back, let him uh, know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And in that context, just prior to that, James had written, the prayer of a man whose heart is right with God works wonders. Well, that's the modern version of it. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, I think the King James says. So what is this passage saying? It's saying when somebody wanders from the truth or wanders away from following Jesus, how should we pray? We're to pray for them. But he says, pray like Elijah. He prayed for his nation, the nation of Israel, that because they'd wandered away from God, that God would discipline them. Well, yeah, send drought. And out of that drought, they would repent. And then he would pray that that drought would be lifted. And it was. And that's the historical incident that James then uses in the context of praying for people who have gone away from God. And and uh, so to pray that, Lord, you don't like to think of it, but discipline them. Now deal with their lives in the circumstances of their lives in such a way that you bring them to a place of thirst, a place of of dryness, where there's no rain, where they realize uh, the drought. They realize they need uh, God and they need to repent and turn back to God. 
And so pray for that kind of discipline. I, whenever I pray for discipline for, the, for anyone, I pray, have mercy on them, Lord. So it's not praying for disaster or anything. It's just praying that God would work in the circumstances of their lives to bring them to the place where they need the Lord and they know it. And so then you can pray that God will reverse that, just as we are encouraged to pray in James's words, in James chapter 5. Divine discipline is remedial. It's not judgment. His discipline is always an expression of his love, as we read in Hebrews 10. And it always yields fruit. So first of all, love them. Love them by praying for them. Love them by accepting and listening to them. Second, well, it's actually, the second one is to listen to them. Uh, sit alongside them. Honestly grapple with the issues that they are raised and, and, and uh, keep the door open for further communication. Don't try and respond to their challenges with trite or uninformed answers. Be authentic. Um, give room for God to work. We cannot open their eyes, but God can. We cannot generate faith, but God can. And thirdly, the third and last one is listen. Uh, sorry, love them, listen to them. And the third one is learn from them. It says in Hebrews, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. None of us are immune. Sitting alongside someone who has turned from their faith, if you went through their circumstances, if you had their upbringing, if you went through uh, and faced what they faced, how different would you be? So easily, we are all vulnerable. We all could uh, turn from following Jesus. That temptation that was just too much for us and we turn and get into an immoral relationship and before long we're down that pathway in the exit lane ready to move right off and in a new direction. So easily it can happen. We need to remember as it says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. Also I want to apply this finally to the church, your church my church, any church. The importance of having an authentic Christian community, not just talking superficial stuff. And this is where life groups, home groups are so important, where you engage with one another, where you pray for one another, where you build relationships with one another, where you uh, have pastoral care for one another, where you help one another through difficult times, where you uh, move beyond the trivial, the superficial conversation and you're actively seeking to establish faith-building relationships with those that you are engaged with. And as it says in, in uh, Hebrews, to encourage one another every day. I want to finish with this illustration because I, I like it. I often use my GPS on my iPhone and I stick it up on the dashboard and away it goes. And uh, sometimes I mute it, other times I have the, the uh, verbal uh, communication. And I might be going somewhere. And just say I'm heading off uh, to, to go to Karen Beach for a swim with Mark. And um, as we're travelling down the road, um, the, Mark says, Oh, there's a, a, an op shop down here. Let, let's go and check out that op shop. So... 
I turn off the road and head that direction and immediately the GPS says, um, do a U-turn in 600 metres at the lights, do a U-turn and head back in the other direction. And then you ignore it and you keep going and then a little further it says, uh, at the next intersection in 500 metres, turn right. Uh, but no, you're going in a different direction because you want to go to the op shop. And so then it always recalibrates, but it, it prompts you to turn back or to turn in the other direction. And when a person is indwelt by the Spirit of God, and even if they've turned away from their faith and they've gone a long distance, the Spirit of God is like a GPS. And it will always, or He, sorry, will always be prompting. And it may be that we don't know what's going on in the hearts and minds of people that we pray for that have turned from their faith. Remember, Paul said that he was kicking against the bricks, the, the goads. He was, he was fighting the work of God in his life, but he kept on going down that pathway until the GPS caught up with him and he turned and he, he gave his life to Christ. So it is with those who we pray for, who we long for. They have, if they have the Spirit of God in them, they have an inner GPS. And it will always be saying, turn right here, do a U-turn here. And leading us back to faith and following the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you all.